0: Well, good morning, High Point Church. Those of you, man, I think about those on the other side of the screen this morning. We've got High Point Carnival represented. We've got those of you who call East Memphis home, those of you who are normally a part of our online campus, and really today, everybody watching from wherever you are in maybe your kitchen, your living room, your home, wherever you are, my prayer is that maybe you're watching with your small group, maybe you're watching with your family, but as we open up God's word, there's no doubt in my mind as I've been praying and been seeking God's face when it comes to Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 30. For such a time as this, would this text be taught today? Uh, might it uh, be applied to my life? Might it be an encouragement to you and for us as believers? Might we consume God's word and ask what it is that he wants to say to us this morning? So if you will, join with me. Romans 8, verses 17 through thirty, I love uh, in verse 17 it says this. This is the verse we used a couple weeks ago. But it says now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we were revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation as I think of really this, this transition of talking about uh, this this intimacy, this relationship of walking with the Spirit. All of a sudden, uh, the writer, Paul, switches gears. And if I were to kind of give a summary of these verses, it really talks about that creation suffers. Uh, when I think about this text, there's some things, and Pastor Will mentioned it last week as he kind of dove into this text. But really, Paul is writing here and goes all the way back to the very beginning. In fact, at the very beginning of your Bibles, Genesis 1, chapter 2, you, you think about this uh, creation creation humans Adam and Eve living in harmony with God the Father and he said man all of this is yours but do not eat of this and in Genesis chapter 3 when I think about this concept of creation suffers this is Genesis 3 verse 17 this is the consequence of the choice that was made in the garden that fast forwards to Romans 8 and these two tie together and I think this even speaks to us where we are in our country in our world today Genesis 3:17 says this to Adam he said this is God speaking because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life verse 18 It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, there was a consequence that came as a result of this choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden back in those days. I want you to picture, just for a second, maybe you're in creation's uh, shoes. This gets a little weird maybe, but maybe you're a tree. Maybe you're a flower. Maybe you're an animal. And you're watching on as Adam and Eve made this choice. And God came to them and said, cursed will be the ground. Cursed will be you, Adam and Eve. And really, you think about this, creation's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't, I didn't make any choices here. Why is it that I have to be subjected to suffering? To frustration, to despair. But what we see is we read in Genesis chapter 3 and we relay it to Romans chapter 8, verse 17 through 22. We understand that creation suffers in incredible ways. Maybe for you, when you think about our world today, you think and get how creation suffers when it comes to the coronavirus. But maybe it's other things in your world and your life. We see about tornadoes. We experience hurricanes. We think about earthquakes. We think about tsunamis, th- tsunamis things around the entire globe. We can look around and see that suffer, the suffering that creation experiences. You know, for me, as I, I think about this, uh, I, I look at this and I'm like, man, s- the creation suffers as a result of this choice that Adam and Eve made. And for for creation, there's a there's a longing, a hope, and a desire for one day for that suffering, that turmoil to go away. And for creation, it says in this verse, that creation waits. This is verse 19: creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Think about it: the trees, the fields of of the entire earth, the clouds, the stars long for the children of God one day in the future. To be revealed. Let me ask you, and I'm gonna maybe do something a little different than we do in normal messages. I'm gonna give you some application questions that you might write down, and maybe you would use these after service ends to ask these questions to your group, to your family, and process them a little bit. Let me ask this: When it comes to creation suffering, in what ways have you seen creation suffer? But the text goes on a little further, and now we pick it up in verse. 23 of Romans 8, it says, not only so, but we ourselves, who's he talking to? He's talking about believers who have the first fruits of the spirit. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we know immediately it tells us that the Holy Spirit enters us as believers. And let me say specifically, when we think about this text, I'm speaking to believers in the goodness that we receive because of all that Jesus has done on the cross. We've received the first fruits of the spirit. But here's what it says about us. When we think about creation suffers, we also know that humans suffer. It says, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not have, We wait for it patiently. You know, when I think about this concept of creation suffering, and now he kind of goes a little different route and talks about not just the things of the world, but we as humans experience suffering as a result of the consequences, the choices that were made back in the garden as we read in Genesis chapter 3. I was reading an article and I loved how they really summarized the sufferings that humans experience. They said that, that one, really, it's called an innocent suffering. And what that means is because of a choice that was made back in the garden, every single human being on this earth, all eight billion of them, and many that have been in the come in the past and those who will be in the future on some level experience suffering. What does this mean? When a baby is born, immediately a baby is born into the earth and they are born into a world that experiences pain, that experiences doubt, that experiences worry, that experiences on some levels sickness. And then for everybody at some point in their life, death. See, there's this concept of innocent suffering. And for you, when you look at your life, and I want to encourage you as we talk about human suffering, really the hot button item for our world, maybe is the stock market, Maybe it's the things that are happening with your jobs. Maybe it's the coronavirus. But I'm not crazy enough to really believe that there are other sufferings that each of you are experiencing today. Maybe you got the bad news a couple weeks ago with the big C. Maybe you're going through divorce. Maybe there are other ways that you are experiencing suffering, that you are experiencing pain, that you are experiencing doubt. I think God's word has something to say to us as we continue to move through this text. But there's an innocent suffering. All of us not necessarily per se because of something immediately we did, but an overarching innocent suffering, we all experience pain. We all experience grief. We all experience heartache. And as you follow this out, we will all one day experience death unless Jesus comes back to earth. But not just an innocent suffering, there's also this concept of a deliberate suffering. What that means is that when you make a choice to sin, when you make a choice to do something wrong, when I choose to do something that I know that is not right, There is a deliberate suffering. There's a consequence as a result of my sin. You think about driving down the road and you're in your car and you're going 50 in a 35. And all of a sudden you see the blue lights and the sirens right behind you. You know immediately because of the choice you made to push on on the gas pedal just a little too hard. You're going to receive the consequences through a ticket. I think of myself, a, a dumb choice that I made when I was a senior in college at Mississippi State. It was the fall time, and we were looking forward to, in a couple of weeks, Mississippi State was about to play Florida. We were going to get in the RV, and everybody was going to head down to Gainesville to watch the game. But two weeks previous to this, we were in the backyard of a friend of mine's home. All the guys were throwing football. We were having a blast. And what do you know, guys being guys, one of us kicked the football, and it gets stuck up in a big oak tree. Well, what did I think I was going to do? I was going to be the hero of the situation, right? I was going to save the day. So I walk over to the oak tree and I find this uh, perfect vine that's growing up this oak tree. So what did I do? I mean, this vine is probably two or three inches thick. I grabbed a hold of this vine and I literally go up the tree as high as I can until I realize I can't make it all the way. I come down. We end up getting rocks or something, throwing the football down. Well, two or three days later, I want you to have this picture in your mind of Rocky Balboa after his fight or maybe the picture of Hitch after he ate that shellfish or the shrimp or whatever that was, my eyes, my ears, my mouth, my arms, pretty much every part of my skin that was touching that tree had this breaking out of poison ivy. I had, through a dumb choice, climbed a tree that had poison ivy, and I did not know at the time that I was allergic. But I'm going to tell you for the next two or three weeks— I was on steroids. I would wear long sleeve shirts. I would have a hat because I was so ashamed to go to class where you could not even look at me without being in pain. See, there was a suffering that was a result of a deliberate choice. See, each of us experienced suffering because of maybe innocence. Everybody experiences suffering, but not just innocent suffering, but deliberate suffering. But there's a third concept that I think can be applied to this text when it comes to this concept of righteous suffering, righteous suffering. So I want us to be reminded for just a minute of the writer of this text, Paul, who for so many years was actually named Saul. Paul was a, Saul at that time was a persecutor of the church. He was a persecutor of people who would follow the way, who placed their faith in Jesus. He would kill believers. He would drag people out of their homes. In fact, in one point it talked about uh, Saul's persecution of believers. It was violent. It was terrifying. Well, Saul has this radical encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus where he gives his life to the Lord. And not do we just find out that he was a uh, one who uh, persecuted the church, but something changed in his life where now he actually is one who's being persecuted himself. He was experiencing righteous suffering for following the way, the truth, the life, Jesus. So when it comes to this concept of righteous suffering, I'm gonna be honest for us, in the US, there may be small ways that we experience suffering for making good choices, for following Jesus by pledging allegiance to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. But I'm gonna tell you there's this concept of martyrdom. Those who give their lives to Jesus and therefore all of their decisions radically look different. If you think about missionaries and pastors and believers around the entire globe, there are people that today lose their lives. They suffer for righteousness sake. And for us as believers here in the United States, one, man, we look and go, God, thank you so much for the freedom that you've given us as Americans. But amen to those around the globe who might be martyred for putting their faith and living out their faith. By saying yes to Jesus and everything, and saying no to every other God that people pledge allegiance to. So, when it comes to creation suffering, we find some things. When we learn about human suffering, there's this concept of innocent suffering, of deliberate suffering, of righteous suffering. Let me ask maybe this question for you and your family, you and your small group. In what ways have you experienced innocent, deliberate, or righteous suffering? See, for us as believers, let me uh, maybe just call a timeout and for us to realize that when we as believers put our faith in Jesus Christ, we know that the Holy Spirit comes inside us to lead us, to guide us, and we're about to get to what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, to follow the Spirit. But for us, man, we look to the future when really we'll be with Jesus, where we'll be in a glorified body when we won't experience the suffering or the pain or the heartache that comes on this earth. And I love, if you go to the very end of your Bible, the way the writer writes in Revelation 21, believers, these are the things that we look for to come. When Jesus returns, Revelation 21, it says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Verse two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and check out what happens here. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, verse five said, I am making Everything new. Church, we know if we're believers, we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we long towards a future where we'll be with Jesus and there will be no more suffering. We won't experience pain or tears or doubt or fear because we will be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all the suffering will end. But we find ourselves stuck in 2020 looking forward to something that will happen in the future. I think of the text that talks about while our bodies are wasting away daily, our souls are renewed daily. Think about this concept of being renewed within our soul. I think it's this concept of really taking in the word of God, walking in the spirit, following God and believing the things that he wants to change on the inside of us. He does that daily. It's like drinking an incredible glass of water and your thirst is quenched, amen, that we can keep going back to that glass of water, that well that never runs dry, even though we experience suffering, we experience doubt, we experience changes in our body, and at some point we might experience fear. But check out what it says. I think today, these are some things, these next two points are huge for us when we acknowledge suffering that happens in creation. We acknowledge the suffering that we experience as believers, but here's the good news. God has given us the Holy Spirit. Check it out in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. It says this, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. If you're a believer today and you read this text, I want you to be encouraged that you have the Holy Spirit inside you. We have an advocate. We have one who's interceding for us. He is the one who helps us. And there are really two key takeaways that I want us to take away from this set of verses. The first is he helps us in our weakness. You know, some of us like to think that we're strong and we don't maybe need help from others or we don't need maybe even, we wouldn't say it like outwardly because it's almost like scary that we would say it, but we would say, God, maybe we don't need you. We've got it under control. But the truth is we each are weak. Man, we think we're strong, but we can't do anything on our own. We we can't even breathe on our own. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live, to breathe, to have strength, our bones, to have strengths in our muscles. And he helps us in our weakness. In fact, I want to camp out for just a minute in Romans chapter eight. You don't have to go there, but verse six says the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Maybe today when it comes to the things that you're experiencing in this world, a step for you is to acknowledge, God, I am weak. God, I need your help. God, I don't know what to do God, I feel stuck. God, I I feel anxiousness. I feel worry. God, I'm overwhelmed by this news that I just got. But here's the good news, church. If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells you and he helps you. He helps me in my weakness. Amen to that. And maybe the next step for you when it comes to your weakness, it's just simply a prayer of surrender. God, I surrender to my hopes, my plans, my graduation trip that just got canceled. The things that I anticipated that would happen in the next couple of months or in weeks to come, God, I don't know what's to come, but God, in my weakness, help me out. And the promise here is that he helps you. He helps me. but not just that he helps us out in real time to to not lie, to make good choices, to, to walk in wisdom, to walk in faith, but it tells us that we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. Verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit Intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There's this picture of a triune God as scripture talks about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they have an intimate relationship, they are one. And you think about what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to intercede on behalf of believers. When we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes. He talks to, he helps, he he communicates with. He, he in some ways he prays and gives these things that we might need to God, and they have a conversation that He intercedes on our behalf, believer. The good news is today that while we experience suffering, we have the Holy Spirit that intercedes, that helps us in our weakness. Maybe for you today, you need to hold on to that. And to believe and know that you don't have to walk through life in isolation or in loneliness. But you have the Holy Spirit that's inside of you and is with you and will lead and guide and protect you. So he helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us. Maybe a question for you to consider. Can you describe a time when it was clear to you that the Holy Spirit was helping you in your weakness? Let me read it one more time. Can you describe a time when it was clear to you that the Holy Spirit was helping you in your weakness. So we see in light of Romans chapter 8, 17 through 30, so far that creation suffers, that humans suffer, that we have the Holy Spirit, but not just that, but we have the promises of God. Now, now I gotta be honest with you, as we're about to read this text, we're gonna uh, spend time in verses 28 through 30. I need to call a timeout for just a minute. And by that, I mean, we're about to read some, Uh, verses, some words, some sentences that are frankly hard to understand. You may read this and your mind just may be blown. You may be baffled. But let me kind of put this in context of the verses that we're about to read. We are finite people. I'm gonna tell you, like, I have a phone that has Google on it, and I can find out a lot of things through the internet through asking wise people, right? But we serve an infinite God who's bigger, who's stronger, who's mightier. And for us, let's ask for wisdom and ask God, help us understand. Holy Spirit calls this passage to come alive to us, but let's also be okay knowing that because God is infinite and bigger than we could ever imagine or more powerful than we could ever think, that it could be true that there are some things in this world that we cannot fully comprehend, that we can't fully get. And yet we once again surrender and say, God, I'm going to choose to look at your word. I'm going to ask you to reveal your word to me. God, I'm willing. God, teach me. So let's pick it up in verse 28. We have the promises of God. Verse 28, if you've been a believer very long, this might be a verse that maybe you've uh, put on your mirror, you've put on your car, you've put on your refrigerator. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many believers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Verse 30, those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. When we think about this concept of we have the promises of God, I'm going to maybe teach this in reverse order. I want to pick it up in verse 29 for just a minute. Because I think if you picture, walk uh, through the, the city of New York, and you see these unbelievable, ridiculous skyscrapers. See, really, while we're like in awe of this incredible skyscraper, We have to understand that the foundation or the footings that go deep into the earth are really the things that allow the skyscraper to stand. Maybe you put it in tree language. We look out uh, around the globe and we see these massive trees. See, these massive trees are phenomenal to look at, but we have to understand that the things that we don't see are the roots that go down deep. And so as we pick it up in verse 29 and 30, what I wanna do is just for a minute, really help us understand to the best of my ability to understand the foundation that's laid deep so that the verse of verse 28 can really stand upon the promises or really from God's perspective, what he did in redeeming us as believers. Let me be clear for just a minute. I'm speaking to believers, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ When we read these verses, this is the work that God has done in the past and will do in the future to save us, to redeem us, to fulfill his promises that he made with us. So as we summarize verses 29 through 30, really it's this picture that God foreknew. And I would encourage you maybe to go and study these words later on. But if I summarize these in my limited time here, really this foreknowing is that God didn't just simply look in and know what would happen, but it was that God chose, that God marked you out as a believer that you would be his. And not just that he foreknew or he looked into the future and marked you out as one who would be a child of God, but it was predestined. And when it comes to this concept of of predestination or that God predestined, it was not just that God marked it before the beginning of time, but that He, what he would begin, he would see to the full completion to the very end. See, me in my 39 years, God saved me back some 20, actually when I was in sixth grade. But yet there is a continued work that God is going to do in my life to call me to look more and more like him. So, for a believer, when you think back to the time that you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have to know that God foreknew that you would be a child of God. You have to believe that it was predestined that God would do a work in your life and he would carry it out all the way to the completion. But now there's this intersection that happens between God and his people where it moves just from a foreknowing, not just a predestining, but a calling when it comes to this calling, maybe I want to take you back to really that moment where you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. We know that scripture teaches that this picture of salvation was when a dead person comes to life. See, it is the work of God who stirs up something that changes in us, a difference that God does in us, where all of a sudden we come alive. See, God foreknew, he predestined, he called He stirred up something within us to look upon him in the full work that was done on the cross. Not just was it foreknown, not was it predestined, not just that it was called, but he justified us. How did God justify us? God justified us by the full work that was done on the cross, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection that took place fully on the cross of Christ. Amen? Amen. And for you and I, we can believe today that we are justified, a legal term, we are made right fully because of all the work that Jesus has done, not based upon anything that we've done. (laughs) And that is freeing. That is empowering to know that we have been justified by the full work that God did through Jesus on the cross. So we have this picture in these verses God foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified and he glorified. The thing that I like about it is it's written in past tense here, glorified. It is as if it is done. Some question uh, as a believer, can you lose your salvation? I believe in light of this text, you cannot lose your salvation because it's not based upon anything that you do or that I do. It's based upon the strength and the might and the promises of God. You see, in scripture, it teaches this concept of sanctification, which is really a a two-sided part of a coin where you think about sanctification on earth, this process where we become more like Christ. But when it comes to this glorification or that we would be glorified, that is the finished product where we are made as God intended us to be. We would be fully redeemed. We would be in new bodies. As it talked about in Revelation 21, there's no more pain. There's no more doubt. There's no more sorrow. So as we think about the, the roots of the tree that go deep or the footings of that building that go deep, it is now knowing that in light of these verses that God is fully powerful. He is the one who does the work to save us, to redeem us, and to carry it all the way into completion that we can read Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know, we I think it could be translated, we can know. We can choose to ignore this, but as it reads here, and we know that in all things, not just some things, not just the things that you want to believe that are true, not just the things that that you like to think about, in all things, in the sorrow, in the despair, in the suffering, in all things, God, who? God, works, works, For the good of those who love him. There are really two qualifiers here who have been called according to his purpose. Who's he talking to? Believers. How do we know that? Because he tells us here are maybe two ways to describe a believer those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. So let me read it in reverse order. Based upon the, the footings or the roots that go down deep to cause this tree to rise up, this promise of Romans eight twenty eight, or this building, fascinating building that is built in New York for us as believers, we can believe because of 29 and 30, all of those things make verse 28 possible. Those of us who love him, those of us who have been called according to his purposes. That's us the promise that we can hope in, that we can believe in, that we don't have to doubt, is exactly what it says here. We know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him. Maybe today you need to rest in that promise, that God is in charge, that he's gonna work everything, everything. There's not something that you can imagine that God would not work out for his good. God is in charge, he is ruling. And he's going to work all things out to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So we see that he foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. And that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Let me ask maybe a question for you to consider uh, with your group. What part or parts of verses 28 through 30 are hard to understand? And maybe a second part, and what parts give you the most peace. See, church, when I reflect upon Scripture, Romans chapter 8, 17 through 30, we acknowledge that creation suffers, that humans experience suffering, that we have the Holy Spirit and we can trust, we can believe in the very promises of God. The flip side of that coin is that for you today, if you're not a believer, these verses are intended for those who have put their faith in Jesus. I cannot tell you in light of Scripture that all things are going to work together for your good. And it makes me really sad to say that. That's a hard thing to say. But in light of Scripture, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Maybe today for you. Today is the day of salvation. In a world full of suffering and turmoil and pain, maybe is today your day for you to open up your hands and simply to acknowledge that you're not in charge, that you don't have it all figured out, that you've made mistakes and to believe God, I put my faith in the full work that Jesus did on the cross to make me right with him, that I might receive the Holy spirit, that I might walk in his promises to believe these very things. I want to pray that over you in just a minute. Maybe for those of you who are believers, there are some application questions for you to ask today to process, to trust in the promises, to believe that the Holy Spirit's with you, that God is for you and not against you, that he'll lead you through this to help you in these times of despair or weakness or suffering. I think the same applies to you, maybe not just for salvation because you already are a believer, but maybe for you afresh, mom and dad, in your marriage. God, I surrender my marriage to you today. And God, I believe that you're gonna work all things for the good. God, as a parent, help me be a parent who pours and invests into my kids during these times. Help me as a a businessman, a leader, whatever it is that God has put you in right now to have influence in, how do these verses apply to you? So if you will, I wanna pray for us and encourage you to respond there, wherever you are, to however God is speaking to you today. Father, we pause right now and just say thank you for your word. God, thank you that scripture addresses suffering for creation at large and for us as humans. God, thank you for the promises that we have as believers that we have the Holy Spirit with us who intercedes on our behalf, who helps us in our weakness. And we can hold on to the very promises that God's the one who started this work in our lives and he's gonna be faithful to complete it. God, I pray for those on the other end of this camera, on the other end of the screen today, that maybe some would put their faith in you for the very first time to surrender their life to you. God, I pray that they would maybe uh, take another step to respond with hprespond.com or tell a friend of their choice to put their faith in Jesus. But for everyone today, God, in light of scripture, God, help us apply. Help us to take your word that it might encourage us to walk according to the way that you would have us. God, it's true. Amidst the storms, God, amidst the suffering, God, amidst the confusion or the anxiety or the worry or the fear, our anchor, Jesus, capital H, HOPE, does what only he can do. God, help us. In your name, amen.